You are listening to Sheep My Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Vaynerovic. Uh, I apologise if you hear any um, background noise on this one. We've got some pretty wild winds happening in Tasmania right now. So that's your uh, slightly delayed weather report. Uh, I do record right by the window, which does lead to a little bit of, um, you know, extra from time to time. Our current serial is Curse of Bronze. Chapter 7 Blank Pages and Impertinent Questions In her short but intensive career as a prodigy student of magical languages, Bella Hathaway had faced many personal challenges. There was the time she became obsessed with learning Daphnis, the language of the Dryads, at the age of 13, overdosed on an eight-volume set of autumnal poems, and ended up living in a tree for several weeks. There was her first introduction to Lupine at the wrong time of the month, which led her to accidentally bite one of her sisters. There was the time she was courted by a vampire, who only spoke sanguinary for the first few weeks of their acquaintance, and then switched to standard in a most suspicious manner as soon as people started asking awkward questions about his late fiance. And then there was the time Bella confused the grammatical tenses of Thanatos, the language of ghosts, spirits and other posthumous creatures, with the tenses of Sibylline, the language of the oracles, and spent an unnecessary six weeks translating books of prophecy that did not exist yet. Never since she first began learning verb conjugation in basic Nixie had she ever found herself trying to translate a book that held no words. Over the last hour, Bella had done everything she could to reveal hidden writing, in the leather and brass book with two gargoyle faces and many blank pages. She held it under a candle flame, hoping for lemon juice writing, commanded it in various tongues, employed all the minor spells of revealing, and even tried reading it over her own shoulder using two mirrors. Lionel contributed nothing but sandwich eating. He knew nothing about this book, and was offended that something book-shaped had been smuggled into Charlotte's house without his being consulted. Bella eventually shooed him back to his own library on a recursive errand, looking for books about magical books. Is it cursed? Bella asked herself, alone in an empty room. Except, of course, that she was never alone, and no room in this house counted as empty. What nonsense, snorted Mrs. Teapot. If it was a curse, Miss Charlotte would have broken it. Wasn't a curse in the world, she set her mind to, that she couldn't break. Apart from the hole in the wall, Lionel's face, and every single cursed object remaining in this house, including you, Bella said, with an edge of spite that was quite uncalled for. Well, really, huffed the teapot turning her spout in the other direction. Harsh, drawled Lionel, making his usual entrance by hovering at the threshold of the hole in the wall. 
he had changed from pyjamas into a burgundy velvet smoking jacket over shirt, vest and trousers, so clearly planned to lounge in comfort while contributing even less. Believe me, he added, you'll want to apologise. The only thing worse than a house full of talking objects is a house full of talking objects refusing to talk to you. Mrs. McCabe is coming, and I have nothing to show her, Bella complained. You're a step ahead of Charlotte. She called Mrs. McCabe a dozen times before she died, trying to push up their next appointment, and got nowhere. That was almost comforting. Shame it was followed up with, You must be far more irritating than she was. Oh, stuff a cake in it, Bella growled. The doorbell pealed. Bella shoved the book with the two gargoyle faces into Lionel's arms for safekeeping and went to answer the door. She was still wearing yesterday's blouse and sensible skirt, but at least she had an excuse for feeling frumpy in the presence of the most elegant woman in the city. Bella flung the door open. I'm so glad you're... Excellent, said Professor Tunbridge, charging past Bella, shoulder first. She had the physical proportions of a sturdy badger and used them accordingly. Glad you could see me on such short notice. Every item in this hallway is cursed, Bella yelped. Too late to stop the woman barging in, but perhaps she could mitigate the potential damage. Tread carefully, please, and don't disturb anything. The glass cabinets rattled, agitated by the stranger's presence. Several antique masks leered at Bella as she followed in Professor Tunbridge's determined wake. Nine glass eyeballs rolled along a shelf, staring at them. A bronze statue of a fertility goddess made a very unseemly hand gesture. The old bronze key at Bella's throat felt hot and spiky, clearly disliking the rudeness of her guest. It was a relief, as always, to enter the parlour, away from the most dangerous cursed items, even if that meant being surrounded by the most fussy cursed items. The furniture was siding with Mrs Teapot after Bella's rudeness, and had drawn back against the wall in the most innocuous positioning possible. The cakes and sandwiches had been whisked off somewhere. Presumably Bella would not be fed until she apologised. Speaking of innocuous, Lionel stood in the middle of the room holding a cup of tea, with the gargoyle book nowhere in sight. His golden mane flopped rakishly over his velvet jacket, like he had somehow managed to wash and brush it in the short time Bella was gone from the room. Professor Tunbridge, he said mildly, always a pleasure. The professor reared back at the sight of him. Never had so much tweed looked so outraged in the presence of so much velvet. You, she bellowed, what are you doing here? Friend and neighbour, said Lionel, sipping his tea. Yourself? The professor whirled on Bella. Do you know what kind of despicable character this is? How he brought that curse on himself with his beastly behaviour? 
"'I assumed it was something like that,' said Bella. "'I have the impulse to curse him all the time, but I don't have the knack.' "'You could probably write a savage poem about me on the wall,' Lionel suggested. "'In six languages.' "'He's a cheap muckraker and a disgrace to his family,' Professor Tumbridge went on. "'Reformed muckraker,' Lionel corrected. Professor Tumbridge pointed a shaky finger. "'You were behind that awful newspaper story five years ago, painting me as a fraud and a murderer!' Lionel's eyes flashed Gordon. <laughs> "'Okay, I'm keeping that in. It was supposed to be flashed golden, but clearly my, you know... <laughs> Deep cultural programming took over at that point. I'm sorry. Give me a minute. I will. I will return. Lionel's eyes flashed golden. For the first time since Bella set eyes on him, he looked truly monstrous. Gaston Hugo wrote that article, and he disappeared mysteriously soon after. Funny how often that happens to people who get in your way. I am an academic the professor said pompously. Not a common criminal, unlike some people. Bella's entire childhood had revolved around tempestuous people having arguments that barely included her. There was a reason her sisters spent most of their time on different continents to each other. This at least was a social situation for which she was prepared. "'Professor Tumbridge, what did you wish to discuss?' she asked in her best, reasonable voice. The professor turned her steely gaze upon Bella. "'You are the heir of the house, are you not? You have inherited your aunt's estate.' "'The house chose me.' "'Yes,' said Bella, for the sake of simplicity.' The old bronze key hanging on a ribbon around her neck had cooled off a little, but she now felt it react as Professor Tumbridge turned her fierce attention in Bella's direction. No, the house did not like this woman at all. Professor Tumbridge folded her arms. Then I demand you return the property which your criminal aunt and her accomplices, she gave Lionel a dirty look, "'Stole from this city's most prestigious museums!' "'Bella blinked. "'For a conversation like this, I would usually suggest tea, "'but my teapot's not talking to me right now. "'What on earth makes you think that my aunt was a thief?' "'Apparently, the trick to lying was to be terribly polite and ask questions. "'She'd have to remember that.' "'The doorbell rang again before Professor Tunbridge could elaborate. "'Excuse me,' said Bella. Trusting that Lionel could handle himself, she tiptoed down the hallway of cursed artefacts, careful not to disturb them. This time it was indeed the elegant Mrs. Macabre. She carried a lace parasol to protect her from the watery sunshine of the morning and wore gloves past her elbows, as well as a night-attire sort of scarlet gown. Beside her, looking rather like he'd been hit over the head with a heavy object, was the ever-reliable 
Sergeant Stamp. Hello, miss, he said gruffly. Came to update you on your aunt's murder case. And I am delighted to have such a gentlemanly escort, said Mrs. Macabre, her hand resting gently on his arm. Sergeant Stamp blushed. I suppose you'd better come in, said Bella, adding her usual warning about the hallway being cursed. All three of them trod lightly on their way to the parlour. Such a party, said Lionel, when she returned with her new guests. Shame the teapot's on strike. It might have to be cocktails. Shall I introduce everybody? Bella suggested, playing hostess. Mrs. Macabre from the Ministry of Cold-Blooded Crimes. This is Professor Tumbridge, who has just made some extraordinary claims about my aunt's alleged activities. This is Mr. Hope, who often says very rude things in a friendly tone, which I personally find very confusing. And this is Sergeant Stamp, the most helpful person I've met so far in this city, so I'm going to let him start. Well, really huffed Professor Tumbridge. More than fair, drawled Lionel. Sergeant Stamp coughed, looking sheepish. I'm afraid there isn't a great deal to tell, miss. Your aunt has been examined by the city alchemists, and they agree it was a curse of transmutation. He read the latter word carefully from his notebook. Midas curse, that is, as you originally thought. We've got a curse breaker at the station, young Mr Milligan. Had a good butchers at the whole thing. Excellent young graduate, Mrs. Macabre put in. He'll go far. Yes, uh, said Sergeant Stamp. The mere conversational contribution of Mrs. Macabre had him blushing again. Bella wondered if there was a Mrs. Stamp at home. There's the matter of the fourteen witnesses. Our Mr. Milligan reckons it's significant there are so many, and that their stories are consistent about the person they saw, but can't remember. According to him, that means they can't have been got at, beg pardon, unduly affected, by a usual sort of memory-wiping charm, because those have to be done one at a time. So his theory is that the murderer used a charm on themselves, making them instantly forgettable. And that leaves us in a right pickle. Indeed, said Mrs. Macabre, a memory charm, particularly one that works as a curse, has the potential to be broken. But if the witnesses were not themselves cursed, there is nothing to be done to restore their memories, unless you have an authentic suspect in custody and can break the charm on them. As you say, madam, said Sergeant Stamp, with an apologetic shrug. Dead ends all round. We've done what we can, Miss Hathaway. But without new evidence, a juicy confession, or a likely culprit to throw our curse breaker at, we've hit a bit of a brick wall. Thank you, Sergeant, said Bella graciously. I'm sure you've done your best. As you know, I've been investigating the matter myself with my aunt's more esoteric resources. That was one way of describing Lionel, Mrs. Macabre, family of kidnapping werewolves and a room full of stolen gargoyles. It's possible we might have new evidence soon. A juicy confession or a likely culprit. Let's see what we can do. 
Bella switched to Sanguinary, turning to her least invited guest, as she utilised the elongated vowels and slithery prepositions of the vampire language of truth. Professor Tunbridge, do you agree? The professor looked even more annoyed. Nevertheless, as one might expect from a celebrated linguist, she shifted into the magical language with ease. Are you approaching a point, Miss Hathaway? Bella lay a hand over the old bronze key that she wore, feeling it heat up as she turned her attention back to the woman who had barged in upon them all. I have the honour of being the heir of this house. This key informed me when you first arrived, Professor Tunbridge, that you were no friend. There was a thrill that came from being, if not outright rude, then at least mildly impertinent. Bella would never have dared to make such an accusation when she lived in a cottage. Being the heir of this house had given her the confidence to say what she thought and hang the consequences. Professor Tunbridge snorted. Have I pretended otherwise? I didn't come here to be insulted. Is it insulting? to ask if a woman who makes people disappear had any involvement in the curse upon my aunt? It was a curling, flowery language. Some subjects could barely be discussed in Sanguinary at all, not because of the truth restriction, but because there existed no vocabulary for the modern or uncouth. Accusing new acquaintances of murdering your aunt, though, that was exactly the sort of dramatic exchange that Sanguinary was built for. Professor Tunbridge had a steely determination in her eye that showed she was not used to being challenged. I came here to ask questions. Bella wanted to say that she had no interest in the professor's questions, but that was not true. Her curiosity went deep when it came to this strange, angry woman. The words froze on her tongue and could not be spoken. Rather than show her failure, she asked the question she most badly wanted answered. Did you lay a curse upon my aunt? Professor Tunbridge smiled, a nasty sort of smile. I did not, she said, in perfect sanguinary. Someone banged on the front door, loud and demanding. Bella could not quite look away from the professor. "'Who's that now?' she asked, reverting to standard Artemisian. The bronze key burned hot, and she felt a stabbing pain all the way through her ribcage. Distantly there was the smashing sound of a door being flung open. Glass broke. We are invaded, screamed the teapot, breaking her offended silence at last. Man the barricades, defend the house. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates 
Follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.